Hey, listeners, it's Kevin once again coming by because we have another week where it's a blast from the past. We're going back to our old book review of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. And this week, we have a couple more chapters for you to keep you entertained in between releases of our regular ongoing book review, Triggered by Donald Trump Jr. This week, there's a couple little things going on with these episodes I just wanted to make you aware of. First, obviously, is the one you're going to hear this week was recorded with Deborah McTaggart back in 2018, who sadly passed away just a few months after that. Obviously, we're very sad that she's gone, and we're glad that we can bring this back out and let you all hear the fun we had breaking down this book with her. Also, it'll be quite obvious that the audio quality is not quite up to par on that one. Obviously, things happen from time to time when you're recording and you're trying to get everyone on the same page and use different technologies, so it appears we had a little snafu on that one and had to go with a backup recording. Other than that, of course, we have a brand new patron-only bonus episode out now. You can go over to patreon.com forward slash nygbc, become a patron for as little as $2 an episode to get access to all of the patron-only back catalog. Of course, there'll be a new one coming every month. This month, we actually read something good. Benedict Red Watchmen, which I was very excited for. We had a nice little discussion about that. And also, to make sure we weren't going crazy, read a terrible opinion piece from George Will in the Washington Post. Remember, you can also find us on Twitter at NYGBCPod, and of course, you can find us on Facebook at NYGBCPod. Enjoy the episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode breaking down another chapter of Triggered. You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. And in the final segment this week, we are joined by Deborah McTaggart, a.k.a. Heretic Woman, who is coming on to, to I don't know, I don't know to, what we can to say To heretic it up? Like, yeah, I gotta heretic the house, man. <laughs> I was trying to tie it into these chapters somehow, but oh, these are just so bad. Uh, but Deborah, thanks for coming on this week. Yeah, How thanks. are you doing? Thanks for having me. I, 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 I will enjoy it. I can't say I enjoyed the reading, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's how we feel always. We're like, oh, well, it's a terrible read, but at least we get to make fun of it afterwards. Exactly. There is that. <laughs> yeah. All cool. right, so this week... Um, we do, chap- we want, do we want people to, to know a little bit about Deborah's show, or do we want to do that I, at the end? I thought we'd do it at the end. But, Deborah, okay. why don't you go ahead and tell people about your show right now, since Benedict brought sure. it up. Sure. Um, I uh, have a little show called Beyond the Trailer Park. Yes, it's a weird name. It has a story, and and... I can tell it at some point, but it'll take too long now. But uh, we are three ladies of the atheist persuasion who discuss all things secular and atheistic, and we just talk about whatever the hell we feel like. 
and we uh, do that on uh, YouTube and Spreaker and Stitcher and I think iTunes and all that fun stuff. But <laughs> Maybe actually, iTunes. Who, who yeah, knows? <laughs> I, I don't like iTunes. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> iTunes is our main main host, so... <laughs> mm, sorry. <laughs> I, all I, right. Well, anyways, why don't we get started <laughs> with, before we uh, anger the iTunes gods, yes. uh, with Chapter 10, titled yes. Manhattan, Malays, and Mourning in America. Uh, yeah, I alternate... mean, that's, 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 I think that's a perfect title for this chapter, actually. I, I actually think they did a good job on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just titled it Hate Thy Neighbor. Uh, because as we will realize later in this, we get a list of hate groups that they are promoting in this book as fantastic organizations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Do you so, have an alternate title, Deborah? Um, you don't. It's fine I don't think don't. I told you to do the alternative, you uh, the okay. alternative titles. No, I forgot. No, you, you did not. So, um, okay. no. How about... <laughs> so, no. Um, no, I don't have one. <laughs> I've just said uh, I can say it in a Canadian accent. Does that work? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you do everything you say in a Canadian accent? Well, yes, but I didn't actually say the title, but that's OK. <laughs> so we start off this chapter uh, with the, the writers talking about Donald Trump's great aunts, Louise and Catherine, which uh, again, like a paragraph in is like, <laughs> does this have anything to do with Donald Trump? No. Well, yeah, right? and they like, say that explicitly. They well, say that explicitly he, he didn't in the really chapter. Know them, but you know, if yeah. he did, <laughs> if he did, they might have had some kind of effect on him. But he didn't, so whatever. We've just wasted a page. What the fuck are you doing? Because we will spend a page reading about Donald Trump's great aunts, who they say in the first paragraph of this chapter, one of them died before Donald was born, and the other died when he was a toddler. So they had no direct influence on him. That is a direct quote. Mm, and yep, then yep. they proceed to speak about them for an entire page and a half almost. It's very yeah. strange. Can I just say also, the, the Moody Bible Institute will never not make me laugh as a name. <laughs> the Moody Bible Institute. Uh, just the Goth Kids Bible Institute, I guess. That gives a bad name to Goth Kids, man. <laughs> yeah, we have as some Goth Kids. As a Goth yeah. Kid, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we learned that the fascinating thing, the reason we have to bring up these two great aunts is they went to the Glad Tidings Tabernacle, one of the first Pentecostal churches in New York City, which, which as is... they have already acknowledged, matters in no way whatsoever because Donald Trump did not know either of them. I actually I actually have just thought off the top of my head of a, a good alternate chapter title for this, and it's Six Degrees of Donald fucking Trump. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's all this is. Well, I like the fact yeah. that that the, uh, uh, the the tabernacle was in Hell's Kitchen, at least. Mm-hmm. Right, where Daredevil yeah. lives. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hell's Kitchen used to be a fucking mess, by the way. It, yeah, it used yeah. to be a very, very bad place. It's now like some of the priciest real estate in New York City, <laughs> but it used to be not great. Yeah, because Kingpin came through and took over all the crime mobs and started Something to run. Like that. I, I get it. Yeah, Something we've like all that. seen that. You, you got it. Series. You get it. But uh, they on the next page, they talk about Amy Semple McPherson, uh, who they say is one of the best-known evangelists of the first half of the 20th century, someone uh, nobody knows about. I'd never heard of her. But they talk about her traveling from Los Angeles to New York to purge the city of some of its sin. And I wanted to ask Benedict, since you currently live in New York City, how no, she do? No, I am sinful. I'm sinful as hell. <laughs> and so, so is the rest of this godforsaken city. So she, she's, not, she's not done a great job. 
uh but yeah no not 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 the best job i mean it's better than it was in the 80s and 90s i'm sure but it's uh it's still not great there's there's lots of uh, the gays and things which i'm sure she wouldn't approve of <laughs> no no she wouldn't i i actually nope. had heard of her before um oh. I, I thought of her as kind of a nut bar but you know i mean that's probably right the the people that these two guys lionize tend to be nut bars so yeah yeah, I mean, it, she started this whole, like, Pentecostal revival kind of thing with weird-ass tongue-speaking and, yeah, in giant tents. Yeah, yeah, well, we get to that. We get to mm-hmm. that. We get to mm-hmm. the tongue-speaking. Yep. Yes, yes, but before we do, uh, we get some talk about David Wilkerson, uh, who, if you are unfamiliar with David Wilkerson, good for you, uh, but the... <laughs> The authors write about David Wilkerson and 17 gang members in New York who were going to trial for their crimes and how David Wilkerson went to the city to speak to them and to, try, I guess, try and turn their lives around, something like that. And that, to me, and this will come up again later, uh, had the exact opposite of what we know about Donald Trump and the Central Park Five. And I wondered yes. why they put it in. That's a good point. Because yeah. Yeah. It, it totally illustrates like they're saying look at these godly people who went and tried to save these poor accused criminals and then later on charles like just hang them all <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah hang every single one of them yeah camps yes. of punishment we, we all around you get a hanging you get a hanging i haven't <laughs> even had a trial a yet but you know fuck all of you <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh this same person david wilkerson he is the individual who wrote the, the book a novel i guess maybe it's a true story called The Cross and the Switchblade, which was later turned into a movie, which you probably heard of listening to our show, if you are also a listener of the God Awful Movies podcast, because they have done that movie. Uh, It is fantastically bad, I'm sure. But they also claim that this book, uh, they, they don't actually say sold 50 million copies, but they say, more than 50 million copies are in print, which is an important <laughs> distinction. Yes. They could all be in a big-ass warehouse somewhere collecting dust and termites. Right. I, would, I would wager 40 million of them are, at least. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there will be some claims about book sales numbers later in this book, in these few chapters, that I did take the time to fact-check uh, because I found that very interesting as well. Uh, so we move on. And we get I just some. Want to make one point that I thought was really bizarre, and I think it's it's in this area where the authors compare Trump to the Jeffersons. <laughs> Can I just say yeah. how utterly ridiculous that is? Not not President Jefferson, also. No, the, no, no. The Jeffersons of TV. Yeah. Fame. Yes. Yeah. yes. Deluxe the, apartment the, in the sky. Fame. Yes. yes. The very um, black Jeffersons who actually started, you know, from nothing. Jeffersons. Not the, I was born as a privileged white guy with millions of dollars my daddy gave me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I know. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating in this book. Yeah. That's a bit further on. Before that, we get like his big move to Manhattan. And that's why they, that's why they persuade you that he's like the Jeffersons. Donnie gets his own apartment and that means he's like the Jeffersons. Yeah, because he moves from Queens to Manhattan, which is yeah. like, oh, yeah, no one else has done that ever in life. <laughs> uh, and, and there are there also, I will say, there are a number of times in these three chapters that we're doing today uh, where they use the, the phrase 
Trump wrote in his book, The Art of the Deal, and I always had to put in the little editor's <laughs> note for remove that over wrote yeah. uh, and yes. put in had written for him. Yes. Uh, I had to make sure that was in there. Did, uh, did he but yes, any of that? I don't. No, I don't. No, no. I remember that the he, guy he who wandered into a room and went, "Hey, I uh, I did a lot of deals. Everything was good. Everything was great. Everybody loves me. Okay, make that into a book. Goodbye." Mm-hmm. That yeah. was that was how he wrote it. That was what he did. Nice impersonation. Thank you. Uh, and they also in this same area where they brought up the Jeffersons, they brought up uh, All in the Family. Yes, uh, Archie Bunker, a- and reminisce on that as sort of the golden years. Uh, yeah, and- he seems really pissed off that Archie Bunker is no longer on TV. <laughs> I don't think he understands that Archie Bunker was a commentary against his way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're still aware that Norman Lear is still alive. Or maybe he died this year. Did Norman Lear die this year? I feel like he did. Don't know. I have no idea. I think he Not did, sure. but Norman Lear is very critical the creator of All in the Family and most of these shows is very critical of Donald Trump. If he's still alive, I don't remember. Maybe he should have been on my celebrity death list. Uh, but anyways, he is still they alive talk now. and he is 96 years old. Whew, that is old. Still he's pumping, an old still dude. Yep. Uh, but so we move on to talking about Donald Trump and his first few years in Manhattan, where they describe him as a bachelor with an eye for pretty models. Again, I had to strike through models and write hookers. Whoa. Um, <laughs> There is a difference. Yes. I mean, um, he did also have an eye for pretty models. Whether he actually got any of them is, yeah. a, is well, another. Is yeah. another. Yeah, but if you get them by giving them money, is, isn't it kind of prostitution, right? I mean, that's. But I feel that, like that's a conversation for another day. Prostitution is a bad <laughs> yeah, thing. Prostitution yeah, I feel is like, not a bad thing. I feel like that's a conversation. No, there's no moral judgment time. on prostitutes. They got to make a living, but there's. Yeah. It, Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump. Let's just let me make fun of Donald Trump, right, please. Right. Okay, but could you do it in a more clever way, though? Because, I mean, that seems like a cheap shot. Uh, look, you know like, me. I, I will always like... go for the easy joke. That's true. That's true. You will do that. Um, I also like that we have some Nixon foreshadowing in this bit. Like, talking yes. about Trump was here while Nixon was had to resign under the threat of impeachment. Like, yep, that sounds right. That sounds like what's going to happen this yep. time. And also, my other, other favorite thing is like, oh, New York was a terrible place. And this was reflected in the cinema about it. So we yes. had, they we had a bunch of movies they on, have hold, never hold, seen. Hold the fuck up. I don't care. Yeah. We have uh, Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino, Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro, and yeah. King Kong. King, King Kong! King Kong! That's in that fantasy, land. people. <laughs> it's the same. King Kong oh, is no, the no, same. No, better as than taxi that. Driver. Better escape than from that. New York. <laughs> yes, Escape from New York. That's, I've never seen Escape from New York, so I've it doesn't fit into I've not seen it, but it's straight up sci fi, isn't it? It is. New York is a futuristic prison with a giant wall around the city where they put all the criminals. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh. So, oh. so Trump's playbook. Yeah, that, that's right. That, that's Trump's literally playbook. Trump's playbook. Nice. Oh, God. I'm going to have to watch that now. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a good. It's a great. It's a great flick. Let's be honest. It's, it's, it's what New York is actually like. Yeah, yeah, I, I was there. I've so been to Manhattan in about 1998, ish. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was just when they were now. building the prison wall around the city, so oh, okay. you know, it yeah, wasn't quite there. I, I, I didn't notice it at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, we remember last week we talked about uh, Norman Vincent Peale, who was uh, a preacher that they they think had a lot of influence on Donald Trump because Donald Trump has quoted him twice. Uh, so. <laughs> they talk about they talk about Donald 
following his parents to Marble Collegiate, which was the college. I'm not the car, not the college. Sorry, <laughs> the uh, the church uh, that Donald Trump's parents went to, and then immediately after mentioning that he went there, they write this sentence. Though there is nothing to indicate that any kind of deep spiritual impact was made on him there. So they why completely we... backpedal. Yeah. Literally half of this book is being like, well, while the Christian faith maybe didn't take at the time, uh, at some point it might take. So, you know, Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I also like it in that section, they start talking about Jimmy Carter a bit. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that they're going on about how scandalous it was that Jimmy Carter did an interview for Playboy. <laughs> and yeah. like, why would he talk my- to a magazine like that? And I'm like, dude. Like, come on, you-, you talk to InfoWars, not Playboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I just again, but but again, with like the all over the place, we're talking about Jimmy Carter, and then we're like, oh, and then a few weeks after this DNC, a young woman was murdered in the Bronx, the first of six killings perpetrated by the son of Sam, yeah. a crime spree that put fear in the hearts of New Yorkers. End paragraph, never come back to it. Like, <laughs> what? Where? Oh, no, and then we get Donald Trump meeting Ivana. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we, we go so... directly per- from, name, from one paragraph. Ivana Marie Zalnichkova. <laughs> Yeah, yes. th- that's quite the name. <laughs> I, I mean, no I judgment on the name, but just like I don't yeah. understand why we're talking about it again. Well, well because they were married in a church. And oh, that's, that's the best right. evidence they have yeah. for Donald Trump's Christianity, being in a church. They can place him in a church on that day. That's mm-hmm. it. I also like the self own immediately after the Ivana, um, Ivana stuff because then they jump back to Jimmy Carter for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why we went to Ivana. They jump back to Jimmy Carter, who apparently, which I didn't know this, I didn't know he was supposed to buy evangelicals. That's not something I knew. So, mm-hmm. fair play to them. I have actually learned something while reading this book. Well, I learned that Trump was Ivana's third husband. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that either. Yeah. Um but yeah, so just one thing, it's like a huge cell phone on evangelicals like yep. just four years after voting for for Jimmy Carter, they voted for a uh divorced actor turned governor who had spotty church attendance at the best of times. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, like evangelicals, guess what? They're not principled and we fully have recognized that since the formation of the religious right, <laughs> which turn, was in 1976. They can, they can pick a scumbag at any old time. You never know. Yeah, exactly. It's not the first time they picked since 1980. Yeah. Yes, and this part that you just brought up, Benedict, talking about uh, Richard or not Richard Nixon, uh, Ronald Reagan, is where they put out their list of hate groups. Uh, So, talking about the thrill of victory with Ronald Reagan's election, uh, the Christian right began to organize a plan for even more success, and these are the groups they list: focus on the family, the American Family Association. These Concerned all, Women for yeah, America. These are all under Carter. Because Reagan wasn't until 1980. Yes, 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 yes. So these, these there is one. Carter. There is one. But yeah. no, these were these were founded before Reagan, but these were organizations that came into their own during the 1980s uh, and, and afterwards. Uh, the Moral Majority, the Family oh, Research Moral Council, Research. and the Rutherford Institute. <laughs> a list of only hate groups. Everyone on that list is a legit hate group. Yes. I love that. I love that. And then they bring up Norman Lear, founding people for the American way, the fantastic organization that does right wing watch, which we rely on so much for this show. Yeah, we do. 
so, uh, so that is just about the end of this chapter. The last thing we get is them talking about Jimmy Carter leaving office and Ronald Reagan being inaugurated as president of the United States. Uh, and it say, of course, one month later, this being uh, February of 1980, uh, Ronald Reagan was being inaugurated as the nation's new president, and the hostages were on their way home. And as I'm like, though what hostages. <laughs> The Iran hostages. No, the the Iran con- the Iran hostages, okay. not the Iran Contra hostages. That Sorry. Out after a couple of minutes, but having read <laughs> yeah, the chapter, very and confusing. No, no mention of any hostages, and and keep in the mind the son of I, Sam hostages, Deborah. No, that, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Because I mean, you guys have at least read the rest of the book. I have not, so I'm like, no, there, there has been no mention to this point of the Iran hostages. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're just as we're, we know we knew just as little about this as you did. But the like, last wait. thing we get in this chapter is a paragraph about how beautiful Donald Trump's buildings were, as though oh, yes. Donald Trump had asked a go- ghostwriter write this for him as well. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and if you juxtapose that with, you know, oh, New York was so ugly with all those nasty movies, you know, because King Kong came and wrecked everything. And, and then, oh, and then Donald Trump started building these beautiful, shiny buildings. So, you know, the, the implication is that he saved New York with his architecture, apparently. Okay, so moving on now to Chapter 11, which is called The Man Who Has Everything, and I alternatively titled How to Excuse Cocaine Sex Parties. <laughs> I got it Because this as... chapter is basically about the 1980s. I got it as, in which you're allowed to call yourself a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, as long as other people think you might be a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's it's how to uh, chase pussy and have everybody think it's God. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. I mean, oh, we'll get to that. We will get to that. So, but we open up this chapter with uh, quite normal for this book, actually, because they don't seem to understand how to do this whole writing a sycophantic book thing right. Uh, <laughs> talking about Woody Guthrie who hated Donald Trump, right? Yeah. Fred Trump, Donald and Fred Trump, but specifically Fred. Uh, Woody Guthrie famously wrote uh, uh, some lyrics about old man Trump and the lack of racial integration in complexes that they had built. Yep. Uh, but they excuse And this. then they do the, yeah, they do the apologetics <laughs> for the racial... They excuse yeah. this by saying that the government had policies in place since the New Deal, the Federal Housing Act, 1934, that allowed... For lo- federal housing administration loans, they're saying, "Yeah, I mean, they were racist, but they were just following the law that yeah. let yeah. them but be racist." Was. So it's fine. And then they go oh. into this big thing about how Trump won a uh, what is it, the Ellis Island Medal of of Honor because he was so pro diversity, and because and, he gave money to an organization. That's well, why he yeah. got it. Yeah, like come Rich on. Rich people buy awards. Uh, and and then they go on about how um, there are actually a lot more um, Hispanics that are evangelicals than you would ever imagine. So you know, Hispanics really invigorated the evangelical movement. And oh, this blew me away. Yeah, it's like implying well, Trump certainly couldn't be anti-Hispanic because they're all mm-hmm. evangelicals, like. I'm sorry, yes. I have a swamp in Florida for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Time what they're ta- what they're talking about specifically here is that in 1986, there was a huge celebration in New York City 
uh, which was Liberty Weekend because the Statue of Liberty was reopened after restoration work. And this big ceremony where the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court swore in new citizens uh, and Ronald Reagan gave a very nice speech uh, and all these various things happened. And along and honestly, this was puzzling to me why they put this in until I got to the page where they're trying to excuse all the xenophobia. I was reading this and going, okay, they're making this look very good. All this welcoming of immigrants and pride and patriotism, all this stuff. It looks really great. Why are they talking about this with Donald Trump? When they (laughs) they write specifically about Lyndon Johnson standing in front of the Statue of Liberty. signed the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. Hold on, let me get to that bit. Yeah, he he. So Johnson was like, "Oh, this is a great thing that you know is not going to affect our daily lives too much." And then, can I? I'm just gonna gonna <laughs> quote this. Uh-huh. Uh, Though Johnson and the shapers of the bill sincerely did not believe it would have a revolutionary effect, they were wrong. As Tom Gelton, a veteran NPR correspondent, wrote in A Nation of Nations, in the decades since, America's founding myth of openness has been tested. Prior to 1965, three out of four immigrants came from Europe and the country's cultural character reflected its Anglo-Saxon roots. Since then, nine of ten immigrants have been from other parts of the world, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. brown parts of the world, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. super racist. Also, I wonder... So three out of four immigrants came from Europe. I wonder if that counts the millions of slaves that were brought over <laughs> illegally oh, and against no, no, their that will. Was Africa, well, Europe, you know, Africa. they yeah. were just they were just on vacation taking a cruise. Yeah, right? I'm not sure they yeah. count. I'm not sure they'd be counted as immigrants necessarily. They got a free yeah. boat trip out of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that joke hurt me. That joke that hurt me bad. more than it hurt yeah, you. Yeah, I hope it hurt uh, you. But immediately after what Benedict just quoted, they say. Quote, during the 2016 election, it became fashionable to state that white Christian America was dying off and that white Christians were in lamentation and mourning over this fact because they're opposed to immigration. And this is where we got to what Deb brought up, where they're trying to say, yes, they're trying to say that all of Latin America is a bunch of evangelicals. I mean, that's not untrue. It is a it is a growing um, but it's also heavily in, Catholic down there. We will remember they don't Brazil, the, fastest, the fastest growing church is um, is Pentecostal church. That's not mm-hmm. that's not wrong. Yes, but but at the end of that paragraph, they say, and contrary to the dire prognostication that showed Trump would receive historic low support from Hispanics, CNN exit polling reported that he won twenty eight percent of their vote, compared to twenty seven percent that voted for Mitt Romney in twenty twelve. So. He got just above historic low support from yeah. Hispanics in 2016, which I guess is a win for them. Uh, apparently. <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. Um, we move on then to talking about how kind and charitable Donald Trump is for fixing an ice skating rink in New York City. Weird. Yes. Yeah, someone else fixed the Statue of Liberty. Donald Trump fixed the fucking ice skating rink. <laughs> yes. so, you know, I, I, I love yeah, how thing. the whole gist of that was, you know, oh, the goodwill of the New York people, you know, that New Yorkers love him. They fucking hate his guts. Yeah, they didn't vote for they, they, they can't stand him. I mean, every time I read about it, it's like, goddamn Trump, they, you know, with uh, the traffic problem <laughs> and the security at Trump Tower, can't get to well, my he's fucking never here, place. To be fair, yeah, yeah he's, never, he's never here because he's but, scared to come back because everyone fucking hates him. Exactly. Because he gets protested every time. Maybe yeah. he needs to fix another skate. Is there another skating rink he can fix somewhere? <laughs> no, sadly, they're all fixed for the moment. Also, it's summer. Damn. So that's okay. <laughs> yes, yes. 
So we move in, in the rest of this chapter. The only thing we really get is a bunch of lists of Donald Trump blowing all his money, all the terrible deals in the 80s where he was wasting all of his money. All the blow. Exactly, doing all the blow. Uh, and Allegedly. and his, his, uh, his uh, relationship with Marla Maples, who you may recall he was cheating on his first wife with. Yes. I did not uh, know that was Tiffany's mum. That's why oh. he hates Tiffany. Yeah. They talk about him buying Eastern Airlines, which is the Trump airline that eventually went out of business. He bankrupted. Bought like eight hundred million yeah. dollars or something. Uh, also, 400 also uh, he bought he paid twenty nine million dollars for a yacht once owned by a Saudi arms dealer, which is like extremely on brand. Uh-huh. Yes, Trump. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then they talk about after Ivana and Donald Trump have divorced, him getting married to Marla Maples. Yeah. And they talk about the wedding, which, of course, we had to talk about because it's at a church. Church. Well, uh, they, they also talk about all his failures for this whole well, two pages. Yes. yes and then and they're what, like, what I love you know what? Is the quote, I'm going to skim over. We know we skimmed over the failures. We're going to big yes. up the successes and skim over the failures because other yeah. people have written about the failures. And obviously but no one's written about the successes I ever. Lo- I love the quote. The Donald Trump of that period would never uh, have been able to ascend the White House. <laughs> How is he any different than he is now? He's insane. Uh, he's older, on his third wife. Geriatric, yeah, it's his senile, third wife. and possibly, yeah. possibly losing his mind. And, and, uh-huh. and then they, they close things out by talking about all the evangelical pastors that got caught mm-hmm. cheating. Oh, yeah, uh, that's like, hilarious. That's like. <laughs> I wanted to bring up before that. I wanted oh, to bring up yeah. before that. They talk yeah. about Donald Trump's marriage to Marla Maples, yes. and they list of the over 1,000 high-profile guests from business, sports, and entertainment. These are the ones they list in particular. O.J. Simpson. Yes. Howard Stern. And Rosie O'Donnell. O'Donnell. And Robin Leach. That's who they chose to list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. A thousand people to choose from. Yeah. And which, they chose yeah, yeah, yeah. those. Which, which leads me to believe that those were the most famous people in the thousand they 100%, had to choose from. 100%. Wait, OJ Simpson, OJ Simpson. the OJ trial. It's like, OJ oh, Simpson. hi, I had and a this murderer mar- yes. at my wedding. I'm so proud. <laughs> this and- wedding was in 1993. So this is just before OJ became OJ. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> just- I didn't realize it was that long ago now. Shit. Yeah, yeah, Damn. but right. uh, so yes. Moving into the end of this chapter, yeah, uh, this is the best <laughs> bit where he's like, yeah. Um, "Yeah, so why, you know, the, the some some Christian pastors got caught doing dodgy shit. So why should any lay person Hello, be, be held e- up to any moral standard?" Classic example of two quoque logical fallacy, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Yes, nice. But, Get some Latin in this podcast. There we they, go. Uh, they, They specifically quote 1 Timothy, uh, which I love, always the most misogynistic book of the Bible, always great to bring up. And uh, they bring up that, quote, as for breaking one's marriage vows, adultery breaks one of the Ten Commandments God gave the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And I wrote in my margins, I got a a bag of rocks for you if you want to follow the rules it sets out in your book for what you're supposed to do when that happens. (laughs) I've got a bag of rocks. Um, exactly. We could stamp Trump on them and brand them, sell them. <laughs> hey, he'd be happy with that. Yeah. Uh, but so, anyways, we get to the end of this chapter, and this is something we we both brought up before we started recording because this is probably the funniest part of this chapter. Yes. Yes. And at the very end of this chapter, because of course they're trying to excuse all of Donald Trump's philandering and all of that, 
Uh, and of course, like, you know, the three of us, there's, there's nothing wrong with sex or sexuality being a sexual person, but of course there's something wrong with cheating on someone you've made a commitment to. And they're trying to excuse that. So, uh, they, they do this in a series of quotes, starting with St. Augustine, who mm-hmm. they call a man who pursued pleasures of all sorts before his conversion to Christ. And they say, he wrote, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. They then quote Christian philosopher Pascal, famous for his wager, yep. uh, saying, there is a God-shaped Ooh, vacuum. Christian philosopher in the sense that he kind uh, of yeah. had to be because at yeah. the time, famous for his wager, which was like, uh-huh. eh, well, might as well. What have you got yeah. to lose? I know, I know. But that that and Pascal. They quote him as saying, oh, yes, a... a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every... <laughs> oh. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man and only God can fill it. And then they finish off this trifecta of quotes with the best from Scottish Roman Catholic novelist, Bruce Marshall, who had one of the priests in his novels say, I still prefer to believe that sex is a substitute for religion and that the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. <laughs> All of this to say Extremely is fun. that being on a cocaine-fueled pussy hunt is a search for God. Yep. Oh, Right. I also like the part just before that where they quote uh, other people talking about how Donald isn't motivated by greed. Oh, and because <laughs> and because he says so at the beginning of his Art of the Deal book. Therefore, which he didn't true. write. Yeah, mm-hmm. which he didn't write. Uh, sorry, I, I had to put in my editor's note there and had someone say at the beginning of the Art yes. of the Deal book. Yes, we should always yes. point out. Yes. Uh, but, but that yeah, is exactly. it. Yeah, that is it for Chapter 11, as you know that. Hello, patrons, and welcome to your patron-only bonus episode for this week, the week of August. Oh, my calendar doesn't say what day was Sunday. Uh, I was really hoping it would. 26th. I had to open up my computer calendar to get that. Uh, (laughs) I know we didn't give you guys one last week, but I made excuses on the regular show, and I'm sticking with them uh, because it has been my first week of law school. Uh, By the way, Benedict, Benedict, are you going to say woo? No. Okay, fine. Uh, it was my first. You yell at me <laughs> when I say woo, so I now yes, I I train do. myself not to say woo, and now you get no <laughs> celebration for your first week of law school. So I hope you're happy. Oh, that hurts my feelings. That really woo! hurts my feelings. There we go. Uh, but so it was my first week of law school. Uh, things have been very, very busy because, of course, stupid me spent all last week drinking instead of uh, getting ahead on my reading, which that, was a bad that idea. Does sound like you. Which it turns out is a bad idea in law yeah. school. No. Uh, well, <laughs> so yeah. today uh, we're going to be reviewing P- Property Principles and Policies, third edition by Thomas Merrill and Henry Smith. <laughs> because that's the, the, we're going to be doing a read aloud of a yeah. chapter of that. Because we're going to you're going to hear me his... mumbling as I highlight and take down notes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's what this week's episode is. Heard, no, no, I heard no, it's no, a no. riveting read. Uh, honestly, uh, property. Uh, not one of the more interesting subjects, uh, to be honest with no. you. Can we can uh, we talk about how you've been assigned the Hamilton soundtrack as you're reading? Yes, me? yes, my con law professor, constitutional law professor, 
Uh, it's not like, it's not like, here's your whole assignment for the week. It's like, oh, here's 60 pages to read by next class. Oh, and go listen to uh, Cabinet Battle 1 and 2 from the musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, maybe something to cheer you up after the, the soul-crushing depression of all the reading yeah. and, and highlighting and notes you have to take. Cabinet um, Battle 3 in the Hamilton mixtape, which is like the, you, you've heard that, presumably. The, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that's yeah. about them declining to abolish slavery. So that's a mm-hmm. that's a more depressing one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, we're gonna be talking about some slavery. We are gonna be talking about some slavery. Yeah. Uh, my, my constitutional law professor is really he's a really interesting guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, really, I'm just I'm super excited. Look, honestly, as much as the next few years are gonna be full of me complaining about law hell. school, I'm sure I love it. <laughs> like as, mu- as much as I'm as much as I very, complain, I'm as blinking. much as I complain about hell. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm really going to enjoy my stay here. And actually, since uh, I volunteered to be here, look, I like the heat more than the cold. Person. I well, like yeah, the heat I mean, more doesn't? than the cold. Who doesn't? Yes. And who doesn't mm-hmm. like being busy? I know I operate best being busy. I know you do too. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the meaning thing. of the word busy until yeah, this week. I mean, uh, it is you, a full time job. Just... It is basically a full time job. Uh, it's it's no joke. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I but, have a full-time job, so I've had that right, shit for a while. Right, but you only have to so, be at work for eight eight hours a day. Uh, this this goes beyond that. Nine, it, it nine and a half. But yeah. Cool. So, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't counting your lunch break. No, no, uh, nine and a half hours. Your two fifteen minute breaks. Don't have those. Let's what? Up. Like you don't have lunch. Uh, well, yeah, I get lunch. No, what don't... do you think I'm doing on my lunch? I have my laptop open and I'm doing reading. Yeah, you think I don't do that? <laughs> this is corporate America, Kevin. <laughs> There's no time for sandwiches. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, anyways, uh, why don't we get into this week? So uh, we, we should mention, right, you all know that last week we forgot to, or we didn't forget, we didn't have time to do the bonus chapter we were doing just for patrons. Uh, we are going to do that today, and you are also going to get the bonus chapter from this week, chapter 12. So you're getting chapter so 9 and chapter 12 in this episode. Nine. Go back and listen to our thing <laughs> with the heretic girl for the next two <laughs> chapters and then come back here for the quality audio for chapter yes. 12. Yes. Oh, no, it's no, bad it's audio. Go, it's still, still going to be bad Stay audio for chapter 12. Stay on the bad audio 12. for chapter 12. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, that wasn't our fault. Nope, not much I can do about that. But anyways, why don't we get into chapter 9, which is titled The Power of Positive Thinking. Sure. Uh, why, why, and... why not let's? Mm-hmm. And my alternate chapter title is "You Get a Bible and You Get a Bible and You Get a Bible." My, mine is the very simple uh, justifying racism through scripture. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> in there. It is definitely in there. Yeah. So just all kinds of racism, though. There's anti anti black racism, anti JFK mm-hmm. racism, like everything you could possibly. Wait, anti JFK racism? Yeah, for anti Catholicism. I don't. Yeah, that's not racist. Well, I, well, I, can't, I don't know. Eh, maybe there's a lot of a lot bigotry. of Catholics in bigotry. South America is bigotry. all I'm saying. Bigotry, bigotry. Uh, but this chapter is, uh, I know, as we usually have to say, this is a book supposedly about Donald Trump. Yeah. But this chapter is about a guy named Norman Vincent Peale. Who we actually, we referenced him a bit in the yes. next chapter because he crops up again later. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so if you've listened to the main episode, you might have heard us talking about him already, but he's... Essentially, just like a, a motivational speaker, kind of, it seems. Basically. Basically. He, the right. He's the precursor. It says in the thing, is he's the precursor to Joel Osteen, Oprah Winfrey, and Tony Robbins, who could not be more different. 
and also mm-hmm. two of whom are eminently <laughs> shitty people. Uh, I think of, we can say Norman Vincent Peale, probably a shitty person yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, Joel Osteen of not opening the Catholic, uh, opening his church to <laughs> hurricane victims' fame, and Tony <laughs> Robbins of the women are asking to be victimized for the Me Too, in the Me Too movement. That was him, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I think, I think you're correct. Uh, but anyway, so this guy, Norman Vincent Peale, they claim was one of Trump's pastors, mentors, and friends. Okay. Uh, and in particular, they cite, they're going to talk a lot about this book, a book he wrote called The Power of Positive Thinking, which you might have heard of. Uh, which it's not a... I think literally a, everyone hated, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> that was the... His wiki, look, the Wikipedia page has a larger section for criticism than the rest of everything else on there. But uh, this, this book, The Power of Positive Thinking, has sold close to 20 million copies uh, during the 1950s. And they say in here, only the newly revised standard version of the Bible sold more among nonfiction titles. Over what period? Uh, like it doesn't really that, say. That's the like, question. Yeah. That's the question. I th- do they mean the 1950s? Yeah, because if if so, that doesn't even seem true right. necessarily. But if they... they're trying to say it's one of the top selling books of all time, which they do make another claim about later, uh, they're completely wrong because the book Think and Grow Rich sold 60 million copies. Mm-hmm. You Can Heal Your Life sold 50 million copies. And... Uh, Spock's book, the one we talked about a few chapters ago, sold 50 million copies as well. So this guy is far down the list on self-help bullshit books, but he's still up Even there. Even in I'll the 1950s, credit. right? I mean, that yeah. was like... Well, I don't I think Spock's book was, maybe it was written a decade later, I don't know. But either way, either way, this guy, we have to give him respect for selling 20 million copies of a book that is still a big accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, J.K. Rowling blows him out of the water, but who cares? Yeah. Uh, so they, they talk a lot about Peel, and of course, like they've done with so many people in this book, they credit him as being one of the most influential people in American society. Yeah. Because this guy's tied to Trump, they kind need to say that everyone tied to Trump is influential. Kind of. Also, A, he's not really tied to Trump. B, mm-hmm. it's like they go, oh, you know, he had his lifetime of influence, but by the middle of the 2010s, the Peel name was nearly altogether forgotten, as if it's some, like, great injustice like that's how most (laughs) a guy who wrote a bullshit self-help book yeah i mean like a we're not going to remember most people that are doing that right now like i don't Mm. know who the bestseller of self-help stuff is right now but chances are by 2100 we're not their name's not going to go down in history unless they like sexually abuse someone which i wouldn't put it past (laughs) them um, Whoever writes the for dummies books, that's probably who. Yeah, but, but even that, but but like even like brilliant writers, people forget about them. Like mm-hmm. most authors don't stand the test of time. Like even like Christopher fucking Marlowe, who is one of the like rivaled Shakespeare in terms of his like output and the quality <coughs> of or, his work. Or he was Shakespeare. Well, yeah, but most people, Ooh. the vast majority of people would not, not be able to tell you who Christopher Marlowe is. Mm-hmm. And that's like a snobby example, but it, it's like a, <laughs> but you know what? I'm snobby. So all the it. examples you yeah, get are snobby. Ca- yeah, yes, exactly. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, but so we get in here and this is, uh, this is one of the best parts of this chapter. Uh, where they're, of course, trying to tie Donald Trump and Norman Vincent Peale together, and they give Like an a excerpt. three-legged race. <laughs> they give an excerpt of something that Peale's closest ri- living relative said, his 79-year-old son, who is also a preacher. 
He told the Washington Post that he, quote, winces when Trump invokes his father's <laughs> name. I cringe. I don't respect Mr. Trump very much. I don't take him seriously. I regret the publicity of the connection. This is a problem for the Peel family. I don't think the image of Norman Vincent Peel that comes through Donald Trump is any connection to the idea I have of him. He doesn't recognize the significant <laughs> character of dad's ministry, which is a sincere desire to help people. See, that sounds End about quote. right. That sounds about a right assessment of, uh, of what we had going. So, And then to, to, to get away from that somehow, the next line, hit return, start new paragraph. <laughs> But the son's biting comments about Trump don't square with the comments the famous preacher made about Trump. <laughs> and what apparently Peel said about Trump are three short quotes that you would say about any person who gave you money. Yeah. Kindly and courteous, ingenious, and one of America's top positive thinkers and doers. Deluded. He's one of the most deluded <laughs> yes. people I've ever met. That's what that's slang for. Also, in in saying like what Peel thought about Trump, they actually quote what Trump says Peel thought about Trump. Oh which is, yes, this is. He great. thought I was his greatest student of all time, which is just like that's so Trumpian. It's amazing. Well, but we get this this whole huge block quote on the next page which is an interview Trump did immediately after uh, some rally he did. Mm -hmm. And uh, he this starts off with, well, when I fill an arena like we did at American Airlines Center last night in Dallas, the people who are so enthusiastic that it was easy to do, you know, I don't believe in teleprompters. If I would read my speech, it'd be so much easier. You would never get in trouble, which is also good, right? But you read a speech and you read it and then you leave and nobody goes crazy. I'm going I give crazy it very much from impression. the heart. Let's that stop. <laughs> And then, and then there's, there's a paragraph about Peel, and then it's back to Trump talking about Trump again. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. And I gotta say, if you ever read what Donald Trump says, it makes no sense. No, no. When you it write, makes so no sense They've given us a nice whatsoever. block quote of things that don't make any sense. He's such a narcissist. And he, I know. he knows exactly how big the crowds are he speaks to every time. Says so like, you know, I go into Mobile with 31,000 or Dallas with 20,000. It's, he's such a narcissist. And then, I know, I so, know. So that ends, and then I, I just wanted to point out, because <coughs> this is, I think, my favorite book, bit of the book so far. Mm -hmm. The next paragraph, when they're going on to talk about Peel's backstory, mm -hmm. and the, the, the intro line before they go on to the backstory is, let's peel back the curtain on oh, Peel. Oh, no. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? That's so bad. It's, it's so nice. bad. Uh, but so anyway, they are going to talk about Norman Vincent Peale a lot in this chapter mm -hmm. because, Too of much, course, you might the Trumps attended Peale's church in the 1970s. Because he was a pastor for rich people, again. Exactly, it's, it, exactly. It just, and so, so the next, uh, the, the, one of the first things they say about him is that there's a, a, a 19th century precursor to him in uh, Henry Ward Beecher, who was the, the brother of Harriet Beecher Stowe. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, of course. And can you tell me why the fuck they put that in there? Well, I mean, it, it's not racist. No, no, you can't. Yeah, no, you exactly. Can't. Like, we are happy <laughs> saying black people are people, I guess. Um, yeah, no, no, and, and that's the thing, is that Harry Ward Beecher didn't preach at the same church as as Norman Vincent No, Peel. and was like a hundred He was just before. in New York. Yeah. Um, that was it, and he but, was he was older than Norman Vincent Peel. That was it. That was but, the whole reason for yeah, putting that whole exactly. half a page in. Exactly. So uh, this, this, there's a bit about him in here that I think sums up 
the cynicism of evangelical Christianity perfectly. Mm. Uh, and it says, Beecher preached the gospel of wealth that assuaged the fears of the newly rich Americans who were troubled to know how their economic fortunes might influence yeah. their eternal status. So he told them that they could be rich and still go to heaven, essentially. And that gave him popularity. And then he had a huge sex scandal and it had no effect on his popularity or on his profession as a preacher, which just shows shows you the cynicism and depths to which these people sink. Yep. Uh, so moving on a little bit, we move into the 1950s, which is when Peel wrote his best-selling book. Uh, and they talk about how in uh, the December 15th, 1948 edition of The Christian Century, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know if that's like an almanac or a newspaper i don't know no what idea. that would be but the, oh, there was a lot of newspapers back in the day that were named the christian something there were uh-huh. a lot of those uh anyways uh it was reported that at a thanksgiving day service in the marble collegiate church which is where norman vincent peel was the pastor he lashed out at the desecration of the spirit of the day <laughs> because the, turkey? the macy's the day parade was on the same day, so people weren't <laughs> on going Thanksgiving. to church. Yes. Yes. Pick a different church day, man. <laughs> Thanksgiving. So this is, yeah. So this is where this is where uh, they're trying to tie Norman Vincent Peale, who apparently, although his church was a mainline Protestant church, we know that these authors are evangelicals, and all the people they praise they want to say are evangelicals because nobody can be right but an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they pull a quote out of one of Norman Vincent Peale's, uh, uh, I believe it was one of his writings that he did. Uh, and this is a Bach quote that has, I don't know, some of the best close but no potato that we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, where he said, quote, We are the descendants of a great breed of Christian forebears who, reading the Bible and having committed themselves to Jesus Christ, became free men and established here a free state. Without and- religion. They always forgot the slave yeah. part. They always oh, forget yeah. the with, slave with, part. With the slaves, but also they established it without religion. Also, I mean, earlier in that block quote, you, you skipped it, but he says, this country is unique in that it's the first great nation in history to be established on a distinctly religious base, <laughs> which I feel like the caliphs and the emirs might have something to say <laughs> about. I disagree. The, the caliphate <laughs> for the glory of the Islamic empire. Mm-hmm. The Islamic Empire is mm-hmm. a clue. King David might disagree too. Yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> that's a fair. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that, but that's a fair point. But this chapter continues with some uh, anti-communism rhetoric. Oh, right, we have from the, the colossal Peele. mind of Jesus Christ as well. Yes, who makes Karl, yes. Karl Marx pale into insignificance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we get comparing what Jesus a to the communists. Mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We get uh, who then shall save America, right? That kind of thing. Uh, there's a nice, there's a nice parenthetical. Peel was a lifelong Republican. Like, imagine my <laughs> shock. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and then we try and tie this because again, remember, we're trying to tie Norman Vincent Peel to evangelicals. Uh, we get talk of Billy Graham coming to New well, York City on. First in of all, 1957. We have, as for his political, reli- quote, as for his political religious activities, Peel gave ardent opposition to FDR and the New Deal from its inception. And I've just written, yes, Jesus hated the poor, famously. <laughs> oh, it also mentions that he was an ardent, ardent prohibitionist. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, which yeah, is a, always you know, an endearing You know quality. how Jesus hated wine? So yes. much he kept turning water into it. 
I thought it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I read my back, my Bible backwards <laughs> to forwards, back to front, whatever it is. Whatever. Uh, so, but the, one of the best parts of this, one of the best, is that Norman Vincent Peale was the the pastor to Richard Nixon. Oh yeah, of course he was to Richard Nixon, why and he they're be? putting that in here like it's a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, why wouldn't he be? Yeah, I mean, people I like Richard don't Nixon. Know. So people still like Richard Nixon. But then, yeah, we we get onto the fact that he uh, he also he he liked Nixon, having hated JFK, because mm-hmm. he was Catholic. Catholic. Yeah, and I mean, lots yes. of people did. To be fair, mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> uh, and and then after that, he was like, "Oh yeah, I've never been too bright." And like, "Yep, that seems right. That seems mm-hmm. fair, Norman Vincent." That's that's yes, a fair yes. So after after all this, the the short little history of Norman Vincent Peale that we get, we get back to his book, The Power of Positive Which everyone Thinking, hates. Like which everyone hates. Despite selling like twenty million copies, <laughs> every reviewer was from every side of the political spectrum was yes. like, This is shit. The religious people were like, No, this is this is not a religious self help book. You're like butchering the gospel. And actually right. there there's a quote in here from Adlai Stevenson. Who said oh, in 1952? Th- this is a ge- this is a genuinely witty quote. Right? This is the first <laughs> genuinely witty thing that's been said in this uh, in this thing. He says, "I find Saint so Saint Paul." He says, "I find Paul appealing and Peel appalling," which is fun <laughs> wordplay. That's good. It that's is. Clever. It is wordplay is fun. Uh, but they write about this book that he poured into his books one true life success story after another to illustrate how people got results by practicing positive thinking exercises. Now, uh, I happened to look up this book because I was interested. Uh, and you may be, so uh, you may be surprised to learn this, but those individuals who gave their amazing stories about how positive thinking helped them, Peel wasn't exactly specific about who they were. Uh, in the story, in the book, uh, he includes stories about an unnamed business executive okay a man uh an alcoholic oh good a quote famous trapeze artist (laughs) a friend of peels and a midwestern businessman none of whom are named so there's no way to prove if any of the stories are true whatsoever not very surprising for a christian theologian and self-help bullshit book writer yeah no very 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 weird um but then, yeah, we we try and uh, we try and link it back to uh, to Donald Trump mm-hmm. later. Um, the oh, are you talking about the Trump Peel Reagan connection? No, uh, well, I kind of. I'm looking at the <laughs> bit on page ninety three. So yeah, kind of. Yes, yes, uh, the trifecta of horror that they yeah. call the Trump Peel Reagan connection. Yeah, uh, the the luck and pluck stuff again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then we go on to like what 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 should we understand about at Donald, the faith of Donald Trump from Norman Vincent Peale. And he's like, well, nothing, <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh. really, really nothing. A- and then it goes like, oh, well, in Donald Trump's vocation of real estate, when you think about it, he helps buildings <laughs> start their lives anew, just like Peale helped people start their lives anew, which is like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and, well, but, but no, I want to I say really quickly, this whole Trump-Peel-Reagan connection thing that they tried to throw in here really annoyed the hell out of me because the extent of the connection is Ronald Reagan awarded Peel 
the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And Trump okay? is now president. That's it. <laughs> well, no, it goes a little bit beyond that. Uh, Peel helped fund the Horatio Alger Association of Distinguished Americans in 1947. Uh, Reagan won that award in 1969, and Fred Trump won it in 1985. So not even Donald Trump. Just not even Donald Trump. Not yeah. even Donald Trump. Just Fred Trump. Yeah. Who, let's be honest. May or may not be a better person than Donald Trump. Maybe. I don't know. We don't know. It's possible. possible. But he was also a rich guy who could just buy awards if he wanted to. That's true. That's what they do. Yeah. Th- there's a good bit just after that as well where it talks about Trump's longtime friend and lawyer Michael Cohen, where I've just <laughs> written, uh oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know about longtime friend. Yeah. I don't know if that quite works anymore. Might possibly be mentally and emotionally the strongest human yeah. being I've ever met. There's a lot of people who wrote books about Donald Trump uh, prior to the last three months who are now really regretting those yeah. quotes they got from Michael Cohen. Yeah, that's true. I mean, right. just, just anyone that was ever close to him because they've all flipped or been fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we also, of course, we got Roger Stone. We got yep. uh, Very good. <laughs> uh, quotes from Roger Stone. But the weird thing, right, is that they admit Donald Trump didn't, the Trump family didn't even ever go to this church for the first time until the 1970s. He can't really even establish a connection. He can say, yeah, uh, Trump has quoted him a few times and maybe they went to church a few times. But they call Norman Vincent Peale his childhood spiritual mentor. Yeah, nonsense. But then go, right. on, then go on to say uh, how useful was Peale to Trump's development. And again, say mm-hmm. not at all. Not very, not very, but but they try and say that he is in a roundabout way, kind because of. they say that all the sort of motivational self help literature, and they even say the Oprah Winfrey show, yeah, is all as good. flow downstream from Peel, and that's where Trump absorbed it from. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. And then, like, so to to finish the chapter, then. So remember this 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 chapter was called <laughs> the power of positive thinking and was all about um all about Norman Vincent Peale's power of positive thinking. I'm going to read the last paragraph, okay? If you Oh, please if you'll do. Please me. do. So it says dad influences son doesn't make for a click clickbait <laughs> headline quite like how Norman Vincent Peale taught Donald Trump to worship himself does. But like they went for the second one. Yes, so, they, they did. Like, they did. Uh, but no, they're going for a clickbait headline. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They, like they admit, like self-own themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, we went for the shittier headline. That's not really true because we wanted to hook you. And like, you don't need a head- a clickbait headline in a book. We already bought the fucking book. Like, you don't need to clickbait us into reading this chapter. We have more of an attention span than that. <laughs> anyway, but in Donald Trump's case. He just wanted to grow up to be like his dad. The fact that a famous pastor came into his adult life with a message that affirmed what Fred had taught him, then all the better. And then the closing line, <laughs> which <laughs> rivals the wit of the previous guy mm-hmm. with the Peel mm-hmm. and Paul thing. Yep. And remember, yep. remember, this is a callback to the fact that this chapter is called The Power of Positive Thinking. The mm-hmm. closing line of this chapter is, of that fact, we're positive. It's so good. Right? It's so Amazing. good, bad. It's Thank so good, you. bad. Oh, that's terrible. Yep, it's bad. It's bad. So there is there is one thing before that that I do want to mention, which is uh, they on that same last page, uh, they say that they when they interviewed Jerry Falwell Jr., son of famous racist Jerry Falwell. Um, <laughs> also racist himself. 
probably racist himself. I'll say no, probably definitely. Uh, insulate ourselves from a lawsuit. Oh, I, okay. uh, they say that Jerry claimed that he had been on the phone with Donald Trump the night before at the end of a very stress-filled week for the president, probably after, I don't know, the, the second hooker he got caught with, some, one of those. <laughs> um, and uh, Falwell said that the president, he asked the president, is there anything I can do to you, for you? Probably to you as well. Uh, and Donald Trump responded with an upbeat, no, I think we're just fine. And Falwell's analysis <sighs> of that exchange is, he's always upbeat and positive, and my dad was always like that. And no... He's just too dumb to know what deep shit he's in. Yeah. That's the real answer there. Yeah. I gotta say. No, I think I think that's definitely right. But anyways, that is it for chapter nine of the Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. We are going to cut away and then give you uh you're just gonna jump right into uh chapter twelve, which we did at the end of this week's episode. So uh that's it for chapter nine. We hope you enjoy the rest of the show. And welcome, patrons, to Chapter 12, your very own patron-only chapter of the book, The Faith of Donald J. Trump, A Spiritual Biography. We have back with us right now Deb from uh, Beyond the Trailer Park, who was with us in the regular show this week, but she's here to join us for this one. Hello. And, and we're doing Chapter 12, which is titled Prosper Reality, uh, for which my alternative chapter title was How Great is Paula White? <laughs> Because that's what we spend most of this chapter talking about. Like, my, my, mine, is, mine is nonsense sentences, because... <laughs> <laughs> or Portman No. Oh, Portman No, that's great. Oh, we need to give that one a moment to breathe. That one is amazing. <laughs> that is so... T- you are... You, sir. You, sir, are Talented. a very funny lady. Um, <laughs> but this chapter 12 starts off uh, doing a wonderful, wonderful sort of glossy overall of Donald Trump's failures. Bait and switch. Like, yeah, he (laughs) fucked up, but now it's fine. Yes, they say, we'll spare you the details of all how all these chapter 11 deals went down. Sparing us the details. Having spared us none of the details of how he somehow may be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And talk about how they actually say Trump was only an average CEO in terms of running a traditional public company. Which is That's, probably yeah. Which the truest well statement for the they've presidency. ever said. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they in this chapter they talk a little bit more. We've talked before about how he spent time at the New York Military Academy, uh, and one of the things that stood out to me here was how he, they talked about Fred and Marianne, Donald's parents, babes. Uh, <laughs> coming on weekends and bringing a quote brought along a different gorgeous young woman each time. Different fucking broad every week. Every week. <laughs> Hey, Which this is I... Jimmy, the construction guy's daughter. I think you get on really well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that and blew me away. Big Tony says, say hello. This is I, his kid. I like, I like how they're like, oh, and he probably thinks of himself like Clint Eastwood, James Bond, and Hugh Hefner all rolled into one. Yes. Such a weird bet. Like, oh, hey, uh, James interesting, Bond. given that they quote, they, they cite the Bridges of Madison County, County, the 1995 Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> 
And then James Bond, comparing Donald Trump to James Bond, being like, yes. hey, James Bond had a lot of sex. Donald Trump also <laughs> had a lot of sex. So, you know, that's the same. Look, in yeah. this book so far, we have gotten Donald Trump is the Highlander, and now Donald Trump is James Bond. We've oh, gotten both of those. They called him Highlander. Oh, uh, no. yeah, they did. Yeah, you missed that one. Oh, they called him the Highlander. That's horrible. Oh. What, there can be only one Trump? Is that it? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's Don right. and Eric are going to have to fight each other to the death. <laughs> it's going to be Tiffany. <laughs> Tiffany's the dog horse. Oh, yeah, Tiffany. Tiffany's going to oh, be in there. Don't I don't know. Baron, uh, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> they talk about uh, uh, beyond 1998. Uh, Trump met Melania while on a date with another woman, also a model. And it, uh, I guess that's, that's extremely on brand. <laughs> extremely on brand. Yes, uh, and it should be mentioned, of course, that Donald Trump, I, I believe, in 1998, was still married to Marla Maples. So that date was cheating on Marla Maples. I don't yeah, know but that. He I did on Nirvana to get think... up to, to hook up with Martha Maples. So I mean, yeah. it's just really only fair. Look, we know he's cheated on every one of the wives he's had. We know that. That's yes. just the rules. Yes. Yeah, one of them was Stormy Daniels, which is extremely mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Who? Oh, oh God, how great is Stormy Daniels on Twitter? Oh, she's so she's amazing. She's pretty good. Uh, but we get now uh, moving into uh, I I don't know why they threw this in here, but talking about Rudy Giuliani, uh, being the mayor it's, of New York City. But whoa, hold up! We do the Central Park Five first. Oh, that that is part of the Central Park Five part. That's, that that's is not, that is. Also, the Central Park Five. Yes. Which I don't know why they put that in, because there is no redeeming shit to come nope. out of that. No, not a, nope. not a, well, maybe they're trying to imply that he's tough on crime. Which... Well, no, no, I, I think what it is, is so the way they tell the story is they go, oh, five immigrant children, uh, five immigrant children, five, five people of color were arrested and convicted. And Donald Trump was calling for the death penalty to be brought back with this full fucking page ad to address to Mayor Koch. And then the next paragraph is his his mum getting mugged and a African American dude stopping the mugging or yes. catching the guy and then Trump like paying for his mortgage basically so they're yes. saying hey it's Trump not be racist it's not the Central Park Five we're, we're racist it's not friend. a racist thing <laughs> <laughs> they, exactly that's exactly what it is it's a page long he had a black friend story yes yes it um, is. and it's like oh well he would have called for this penalty even if it had been the white gang which oh, is bullshit. not fucking true. Because he's basically in the mafia, as we now know. If that was true, then why the fuck is Arpaio got a pardon? Exactly. Exactly. Who the fuck knows? Uh, But so we we go directly from that, directly from talking about uh, Rudy Giuliani and New York City and Broken Windows Policing, the, the Central Park Five, all of this. Which, Hit by the return, way, Broken Windows Policing, there is no proof that that is what caused the decline in crime what, in New York what City. What is that, by the way? I am not familiar with that. So term. it's the 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 concept is that if um so if if there are like broken windows in a building, it means that no authority is paying attention to the building and nobody cares about what happens in that area. So part of it was like fixing up dilapidated buildings and stuff to make sure mm. that people. Just like hang out there because they knew that no one was paying okay. attention to that area. I, I knew about um, stop it's also and very aggressive police. Yes, yeah, that's it's, part it's of it. Like stop and frisk is part of it. Yeah, um, and, I, and yeah, that's this whole idea that oh yeah, it was because of this stuff that crime decreased. Like, um, hello, if you think correlation means a cause, I can prove to you that lack of pirates exactly. caused climate change. Exactly. <laughs> Well, it's in the gospel the thing, of the flying spaghetti monster, man. Like, it's gospel. 
Chris Chris Hayes wrote about this in his most recent book, which is called Colony in a Nation. Um, and it's basically like there's no, literally nobody knows why crime went down, but it pretty much went down, down nationwide. Um, one of the foremost theories now is because there's less of a ratio of young people, basically, because after the baby boomers, after World War II, there was like a spike yes. in the amount of young people that were around, like as a percentage of the population and right, just like right. fucking around being kids. Mm-hmm. Um and young adults not with any guidance or whatever that's one of the theories yeah yeah exactly exactly um and but i do like how he tries to tie it into the rise of the number of churches in manhattan but he was like oh remember how crime went down well the number of churches also went up so that's a coincidence (laughs) well and they're also sort of saying that you know oh and Trump's Trump came to Manhattan right about then and started doing his thing. So he is Jesus. That's yeah, right. That's, yeah, yeah. Yes. He he no, brought church to Manhattan. Apparently, there's this amazing quote which I have to read the entirety of because it's it's so fantastically bad. And this comes from this. Is, they're quoting from uh, Tony Carnes, who's the editor of a religion journalism site, uh, sort of no, that eh, almost an oxymoron. I don't know. Uh, A Journey Through New York City Religions. That is the name of the site. And this is what he wrote. In sum, no other city's ups and downs become part of the world's consciousness quite like New York's. Today, post-secular New York City is in a similar icon-busting and making stage. It is busting the image of the city as Sodom and Gomorrah and the secular city. Whoa! It is becoming the place where faith has an accepted public role in the fate of the city. Oh, please. Yes, that they are calling New York City a post-secular city. One of the most secular cities in the world is yeah. a post-secular city. Okay. Well, I'm not sure that's... I, I, I'm not sure... I mean, it is probably still a very religious city just because of the amount of different faiths that congregate here. Right. Um, go, go, go drive through Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, yeah. Uh, but I, I, okay. No, no, like... I, but, but what... It's probably still a very religious population, if not a city, is what I'm trying to say. So the religion has nothing to do with the running of the city. Yes. But there probably are a lot of religious people here, mainly because there are just a lot of people here. And, like, some people are religious. Well, that's, like, uh, what's the population of New York these days? Uh, 10 million, including the the outer boroughs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of people. But it's like, say, Toronto is around 4 million-ish. And people could say there's a lot of religious people there because, well, there is because there's a fuck ton of people in Toronto. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we get a little bit of the author and I'm assuming that this is uh, Scott or no, this this must be David because David is David grew up Jewish and then converted to Christianity. Right. Right. So we get we get a little bit of David's story. And David talks about how he trying to look for his own personal Jesus, Mm -hmm, reaching out and touching faith, etc. And yeah, going to a charismatic church, uh, committing his life to Again, Christ. You know, I, creepy I, phrases like that. I, I, uh, charismatic church in my head always just means a gay-friendly church. That's all <laughs> that. They're like every time they write charismatic church, that's what I see in my head. Uh, they they but, do uh, drag show Sundays, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he talks about the Hillsong congregation. Uh, which is apparently, I, I guess, where Justin Bieber goes or something. Yeah, it didn't do a good job. No. no. By the way, you can keep him. 
We're, we're no, he's yours. <laughs> <laughs> no, fun, we're sending him back. Fun fact, fun fact. My stepsister went to school with his mother, and they're still friends. Oh, very nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm from someone Stratford just, area. Just, sorry, I have to share this with someone. Someone is sat in a window doing a meditation across my street. It's very weird. <laughs> in the street across from mine, they're literally sat in the window bracket doing meditation five floors up and it's well, very it's very weird so if, if someone if fall, i like we'll run out if i have to run away yeah we have i because <laughs> they've fallen out a window and died let's hope they're not trying to do uh uh what astral projection <laughs> <laughs> but the the thrust of this part of the chapter is famous people need jesus too i guess is yes. the gist of it uh so they talk about justin bieber i guess going to church and he talks about then they, they switch over to talking about other uh, uh, famous people like uh, Andy Warhol, who, again, hated Donald Trump. Yeah, um, yeah he uh, said he wouldn't do paintings for the Trump Tower. Yes, yes. They bring up Oscar Wilde at one point. Very ironic for them. Again, uh, famously <laughs> gay yeah. and hated religion. Yes. And they talk about how great it was that Donald Trump did the Apprentice TV series. Yeah. Uh, because everybody gets their, their moment of fame. I, I don't know. There was no point to any of that. I actually, I have a theory on all of this that mm -hmm. like Donald Trump, the phenomenon is caused by pro wrestling as much as anything else. You've seen <laughs> Eli have, Bosnick's YouTube video is what I you've haven't seen. seen it. I haven't seen it. How have you not seen that? Cause I don't watch all his stuff. I listen Just to God. Find Eli, Eli's stuff. everything is wrestling video. Well, okay, listen, what I've done is come to the same conclusion as Eli Bosnick completely independently. <laughs> so I'm okay with that. Um, but then they get into, and because this is the last chapter in the part one of the book, they're starting to get into Donald Trump and the run for office, which is going to be the thrust of part two of this book, which we will start next week. And they talk about how a lot of people took it as a joke when Donald Trump said he was going to run for office. And they talk about these several times Donald Trump has floated running for office. And then we get, like you mentioned, WrestleMania and how that was part of making his brand. And we jump directly from talking about Donald Trump being on The Apprentice, him on WrestleMania, to Robert Schuller, the late founder yes. of Crystal Cathedral and the Hour of Power Christian television program. With no reasoning between the two. No reasoning. Yeah. Because they even say there doesn't seem to be any record of the two ever meeting. I know. Yep. I saw that too. Because when like, has that been? <laughs> we're going to build up. Like, this is a really important thing. And then we're, but we don't really know that that ever, you know, had any bearing on anything. <laughs> well, but the reason for Schuller really is to lead into what the, the rest of this chapter is going to be about. Paula White. And nice. Paula White is Donald, one of Donald Trump's main advisors. Uh, well, I don't know. She's on the books and claims that she talks to him a lot, although there's no reason to believe any of that because she's a there's lying no sack of shit. evidence that that actually happened. Mm -hmm. uh, Paula White is the pastor of New Destiny Christian Center in Apopka, Florida, uh, and she is a prosperity minister, which is, if you're unfamiliar, send us your money, and eventually, through God, you'll get more money. So it is it's the worst of the scheme. worst. It is it the is pyramid, pyramid scheme, robbing little scheme. old ladies blind. It is the worst yes. of the worst. And the rest of this chapter is things that Paula White claims Donald Trump said on the phone to her. That is seriously the rest of this chapter. Yeah, she says the rest of this chapter could be called allegedly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Yes. She says it multiple times that Donald Trump was quoting sermons sermons that she did. Bullshit. Uh, As bullshit. if that man bullshit. ever remembered a fucking sermon he ever heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He can't rem- he can't remember something you heard five minutes ago. He can't, can't remember, remember the, the colors of, of the American flag. He probably yes. <laughs> doesn't even know the names of his kids other than Ivanka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also learn in this chapter, according to Paula White, that Donald Trump loves Southern gospel music, and yeah. that one of his oh, yeah. favorite is the right. Gathers, who I've never heard of. No, me neither. Uh, and that uh, he apparently told her in 2012 he was thinking of running for president and said that the Lord told him he was supposed to run Absolutely for president. Absolutely no, not. Yes. Absolutely but, not. Okay, okay. Going back to 2016, there was at least 15 or so people that God told to run for office, was there not? <laughs> That's true. Yes, God, true. God's mischievous. He was like, I want to see how this uh, shit turns out. Uh, yeah, he, he was like, like a kid with a magnifying glass looking down at some ants, just trying to fuck with some shit. I'm going to tell uh, that one and that one. Oh, this will be fun. <laughs> I'm going to tell Ted Cruz he should yeah. be president. Oh, and you definitely can keep that fucker, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the last thing we get in this chapter is Paula White defending her from claims that she is uh, a heretic, which is a common thing with Paula White. Because hey, the you might say get heretic this. woman. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh, and I can we get tell a... you she's not. <laughs> <laughs> we get a full page and a half where they just reprint Paula White's response to being called a heretic by some other Christian minister. Where she says, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Holy Trinity, blah, 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 blah. Usual Christian boilerplate bullshit. None of which fucking matters. And the reason they did all this is because we find out later, and we find out later in the book, one of their main sources, we found out a lot in this chapter, for a lot of things that Donald Trump says, is Paula fucking White. This is their source. She was probably like, hey, you have to print my full statement. I don't this know how is she their talks. Seeming, that's how she talks. So they had to spend a good part of five or six pages defending Paula White and all the crazy shit she's done. Yeah. And uh, with see, that, go ahead. I was just gonna say what what really struck me too is they're making all of these claims about this, that, and the other. There's no fucking footnotes anywhere in this. Book. Well, there are in the back of the book, uh, but they don't put them in the chat. They don't put any uh, footnote numbers or anything anywhere, so it's difficult yeah. to figure out. Right? You have to also, read. Also, a lot of them are fucking Reddit threats. Like, oh, there like are some the one really where bad ones. They're, they're saying, um, claiming that Trump listen watched uh, gospel TV shows with his father every Sunday. There were no quote. There were no citations for that whatsoever. No, that was that, that was the one that from- I was like citation. Uh huh. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> but we end off this chapter and we end part one of the book with this quote from Paula White, who says, He was a man seeking God, a man who was spiritually hungry, watching Christian television and listening to Southern gospel music. Can we are this imagine? work in progress that is continually growing as long as our heart is open to God and as long as we are seeking God. End quote and end part one. Of this very, very, very bad and very long book that we still have a long time to How long, long is that damn December. thing? Let me see that. 300 pages. Oh. 300 pages. And we are on page oh. 138. So, oh. a ways to go. But, Deb, I wanted to thank you again for coming on with us thank to do this little bonus section. Thank uh, you, Deb. 
Yes. The patrons have already heard uh, where they can find more of you, but you want to say one more time in case uh, they missed it on the regular show? Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.